Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Let me end on the NA. Heat guaranteed when you press in the play. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. I'm super excited to have a great guest with us. It's uh, Dr. Uma Danabalan. So maybe you can tell our audience a little bit about yourself. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for having me here. This is We've been wanting to do this for quite some time, and, and what a great day to do this. I am Dr. Uma Danabalan. I go by Dr. Uma because my last name is kind of long, and people see a bunch of A's and they get a little overwhelmed. And you said it so beautifully, Danabalan. Um, I am originally from India. I grew up in Jersey, and I'm proud of it. And uh, <laughs> I grew up in Philly, so we're, yeah, <laughs> we're my neighbors. Name, uh, my <laughs> well, part of Jersey. When, uh, when I first came to this country, we lived in Patterson, New Jersey, and then Clifton, New Jersey, and then Lake Hiawatha, and then I graduated from Livingston High School. And I went to Rutgers undergraduate. I did research in Newark uh, almost 40 years of my life I spent down there. And really, my roots are still there. In fact, I'm heading down to Jersey uh, tomorrow, uh, hopefully for the weekend. But what's really interesting is that uh, I started out knowing I've always wanted to be a doctor from the time I was little. I became a family doctor with going through multiple detours in my life. I went to family medicine residency in Charleston, South Carolina. And after I did my residency in family medicine, I really was... Uh, very much interested in preventative health. And I really pursued that by coming up to Harvard and did my uh, residency in occupational environmental medicine, which involved doing my master's in public health. And then I did a fellowship in heavy metals. That's my background uh, as far as uh, the world before cannabis. And in 2000 and 12 is when I became a blabbermouth to the public about cannabis after my mother died uh, due to an illness known as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. But that's what really got me involved in the cannabis world. 
Um, was there anybody in your family that was in medicine? Like you said, you uh, you were born in India. What, what part of India were you born in? Just out of curiosity. I was born in Bombay, which is North India, but my family is actually from South India. So I was very fortunate when I came here. I spoke five languages. I spoke Hindi, Marathi, Gujarati, English, and Tamil, which is my mother tongue, and mm. true English. Now I speak Jersey. I don't even speak English. Yeah, right? <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> but it's, uh, we were from North India, and my family mm. being from the South, when we came to this country, we kept with my mother tongue. So I still speak Tamil fluently. Okay. Yeah, I, I visited a couple of times. I was in Chennai, Bangalore, and Calcutta. So I have a little bit of perspective uh, in India. It's, it's, it's interesting. Chennai is where my family's from. Oh, Chennai. Yeah, I spent probably the most time I spent in Chennai. I used to work uh, with this on-site offshore company for a little while. It was overseeing their business development strategic alliances. So they sent me there so I could meet the team. And I really, really enjoyed my time there. It was super, super interesting. It's very hard to describe to people. Uh, what it's like unless you actually go because the visceral uh, kind of experience that you have is not, I, I can't describe it. I've been in a lot of countries in the, in the world, but you can't describe India. And it, and it seems to me that when you travel from one place to another, it's like you're traveling to a different country almost within India. It's like it the is. language is different, the people are different. So I found that fascinating too. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. And it's kind of a perfect segue about how we could all be under this uh, continent and in this country called India and you go a hundred miles and you can't speak the language and right. you have a different culture, a different mm -hmm. experience. And it's sort of like cannabis, right? Because there's so many different cultivars out there and it affects people differently. And to explain it to somebody is very difficult till you actually go there and see certain things. And, right. um, I love India because there's, it's a melting pot of so many cultures. Absolutely. So I was asking you a question and I interrupted myself because uh, I have ADD and I tend to do that. And I have squirrel moments every once in a while. But was there anybody in your family that practiced medicine, that, that had this background that you kind of uh, uh, try to take on the uh, mantle and the, you know, get the torch and continue on? I, I I've been very blessed to tell you the truth. My, my grandmother... Um, was a shaman. She, you know, looked at people. She knew what to give them. She was the village doctor in India. And mm -hmm. uh, recently I lost my uncle, my dad's brother, who was an amazing surgeon who, mm -hmm. you know, coming from a village became a doctor and he was, had been received so many awards. He, he got his FRC and he was able to establish one of the first testing programs in India. So I have an uncle that was a doctor, but in my immediate family, my mom was the first woman to get her master's in statistics. And my dad is a chemical engineer and then also did uh, his degree in MBA and was the director of manufacturing for Menin. And then Menin was brought out by Colgate. So mm -hmm. indirectly, I had medicine in my family in different routes. Yeah, it's interesting that you say, uh, you know, you were talking about your healing roots, right? And we talk about traditional medicine as being like pharmaceutical medicine. And I always kind of challenge that what traditional medicine is medicine that's not pharmaceutical medicine, that's plant medicine, Love that Ayurvedic medicine, 
all that kind of stuff. So uh, can you expand? I'm just curious, again, because uh, you, you were talking about that, uh, you know, she could see people's uh, conditions and ailments. Well, that's an empathic kind of trait in a way. Can you no, I think that she bit? practiced medicine. You know, she <laughs> looked at somebody. The art of medicine was, you know, what we have to really look at is look at the person, you know, look and see. I was taught by really wonderful teachers and they'd say, did you notice which hand his cane was in? Did you notice which side he limped on? Did you notice yeah. if he had the handkerchief on his right pocket or his left pocket? You know, little things that they would tell us. And it was really interesting. This was the art of medicine that we've lost because we now look at blood work. We look at people's numbers instead of looking at the person and say, this is what we're doing. But she actually was doing artificial intelligence because she would scan people from top to bottom. They looked at their eyes. They looked at their tongue. They looked at their hands. You know, yeah. they looked at the color of their skin. They looked at their fingers. They looked at these things that gave them what was going on on the inside. And that's another thing that I truly love to do as a family doctor is I get to truly take care of the whole person and I get to take care of their family members. And that's what she did. She took care of not just one person in the family. She took care of the whole family in the village as well. She helped them get pregnant. She helped them deliver their babies. She cared for their babies. And, you know, I remember the things that she did. She would literally make up the concoctions and rubbing. You know, that's one of the first times when I learned about what we call now as the coding method. She would make tinctures and put it in the baby's belly button. They would make tinctures to put in the ears. They would rub the tinctures. They, They did these different things. They massaged them. They cradled them. They did... This was art of medicine. So when you went to medical school and you kind of took that approach yourself and you were taught all the, you know, quote unquote, Western type of uh, medicines where, you know, my arm hurts. Let me give you a shot or a pill for that. Uh, Did you already think that you wanted to get into more of an integrative functional type of approach to medicine while you were going through that? Well, it's interesting because right after I finished um, my high school here, I went to school in India for medical school, actually. Mm. So okay. I, I was in Chennai at the Madras mm. Medical College. Yeah. I was there from 1979 to 1981 when I finally was literally taken out and brought back here because I went to India. I got malaria. I mm. got hepatitis from the water. So I gave, became a patient in India. And I realized I could not survive to be there if I was going to be the one going to get the illnesses and not be the doctor. But it's a different way. What I realized is that, you know, when I got trained, even as a family medicine doctor in my medical school and all of this, we learned how to look at the person and listen to the patient. We've Mm -hmm. lost that. We don't have the time. You know, if the average person goes in a doctor's office, they have seven minutes you know, they're, they're looking at a computer. They're looking at your numbers. They're not even looking at you. You're mm-hmm. lucky if they lay a hand on you and listen to your heart and lungs. You know, it's a machine's report that we're reading. So yeah. I still practice what I've learned in the sense that I get to integrate everything. I get to listen to the patient. I get to really play the role of psychiatrist sometimes and just listen. Yeah. I don't need to do, but it's understanding that, And you mentioned this, you know, you're doing testing. 
mm-hmm. understanding what the family lineage is and what the predispositions, you know, is there mm-hmm. something in the family that I need to be looking out for versus something that might be new that's happening and that you still mm-hmm. got to look for those things. I think that medicine is changing and it's really becoming where people have to understand that your doctor is a tool also. They're going to help you to get to the right places, but you got to get educated. You got to understand the doctor gets to see you at that moment and run their tests, but you know what you're putting in your body. You know what you're listening to. You know what you're reacting to. And that's what we learned from my grandmother was it was all of that. You know, it was what you ate, what you surrounded yourself with, how you practiced your discipline of your religion and everything else. Yeah, and no, it's so, so beautifully said. And we, we always talk about, uh, you know, empowering the individual to have enough information about themselves that they can have a collaborative experience with their healthcare professional. It's not just about you go in. It used to be, and I think during COVID, people started being a little more skeptical about that. It used to be you go see the doctor, the doctor tells you, take two of these and call me in a week. And nobody questions it. The doctor knows, here we go, two of these. But now, you know, people are starting to question a little bit more. And the more information we, uh, we ourselves as individuals uh, try to learn about ourselves, we can have a much better experience with a healthcare professional because, you know, the way that I understood it is it's always the healthcare professional, first of all, their job is not to harm anybody. Like you try to look at things that you can do without actually causing harm to anybody. So you say, okay, well, these are the things that are going on. Let me make sure that we address those. And these are kind of these, uh, these potholes in the road. Let's avoid those things because we know them. But you have to communicate with your healthcare professional on what's going on inside yourself. And I think people stop doing that for a while. They just start uh, start trusting pharma and like you know, and this is the way it works. But I, now with this, uh, uh, you've been doing it the whole time. There's a lot of doctors now that are going in and, and practicing. Uh, integrated medicine and functional medicine. And it's, and it's wonderful to see that, you know, it's expanding, but people need to really understand that they also need to take ownership of themselves uh, just because, you know, you're, you're doing something or you have some sort of condition that's causing you uh, pain, discomfort. What are you doing to help yourself? What is your nutrition like? What is your mindset like? All those things are part of it. So, and, and obviously, you know, your genetics and understanding your sort of where you're coming from, what you inherited, what's going on. So you can kind of control the expression of those. That's really, really important. I'm glad you brought that up as well. Uh, what is what was your sort of journey into plant medicine? How did it happen where, you know, uh, did you always integrate some sort of plant medicine? I'm not only talking about, you know, phytocannabinoids, but other medicines. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because our culture came from spices, right? And you say that, you know, when you went to India, like you can know, like you could go to different areas and the food would taste different and it was regional and it had, and anywhere in India, you know, there's that hardiness of the spices when you smell the aroma of the air, And what we always incorporated was plant medicine. We incorporated ginger, we incorporated garlic, there was turmeric, there was cloves, there was cinnamon, there was all of these things that had aromas. Now we call it terpenes, right? That's what we we learned now, that that's what we were using Mm -hmm. in these, all of these aromas are terpenes. And each of these aromas evoke something in us. You know, certain smells take us to a really nice place. Even if I close my eye for a moment, I could think about something and 
and now it could take me to a nice place. And this is where our food uh, was. It's very interesting because different parts of India did not have refrigeration, right? Different places. And the spices were what kept you from not having any bacteria, antimicrobial. And this is what preserved the food as well. And this is how we consume things and why didn't people get ill? So that curiosity has always been in my culture. And I lived in an Indian household. My mother cooked Indian food. We always had Indian food. There was always a remedy for this or that that my mother would do. We were not doled out pills, you know. I still remember turmeric was that, you know, when you had a cold, boil the milk, put the ginger in it, put the turmeric in it, put the honey in it. That was your go-to, you know, for a short fruit gargle with these things. This is how we were taught, you know, we didn't take the antibiotics. It wasn't the first go-to, you know, and my mother, I still remember having ear infections, boiling the oil with the pepper and the coconut, the uh, garlic and straining it off and taking the drops and putting it in, you know, any kind of hair issues, any kind of these, this is how we operated, right? Mm -hmm. But I knew I wanted to be a doctor, so that's what we did. And mm -hmm. Cannabinoid medicine actually came into my life as far as my practice because of my mother. And mm -hmm. I, I struggled with the fact that I never got to give it to her because uh, I was working in Washington State with all my degrees and all my experience and working as a family doctor, an occupational environmental medicine physician, uh, as a medical review officer. You know, I was popping people for testing positive for this chemical THC. And meanwhile, my mother's dying of an illness known as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. She sees a TV program about how cannabis, they're using ganja, you know, and the curiosity begins in me. But how we keep our mouth shut, you know, this is now 11 plus years of my life that I started to learn about this. And nine years after my mother's death that I really started getting vocal and mm -hmm. I regret, I regret not talking about it. So that became my mission that mm -hmm. I've got to change the stigma and everybody has to know about the endocannabinoid system became my mission and I do it through education. So when you said you had to learn yourself, if, if there are other doctors or healthcare professionals, what would you suggest they do? They're saying, okay, uh, I listened to Dr. Sanjay Gupta on CNN and he talked about cannabis is good for this and that. Where do I get more information? What do I do as a healthcare professional to educate myself? The first thing is to understand that we were not taught about it. So that's the first acknowledgement. Just being aware, you know, Behind me, there's a bunch of pieces of papers, and none of those pieces of paper, including Harvard, taught me about the endocannabinoid system. I didn't learn about it there. I learned being curious. So that's what I tell people. Get curious. You know, there's so many more things that we don't know about, but I became curious. And I started to learn about the endocannabinoid system, and I realized that this is involved with every other system. And Dr. Uma describes the endocannabinoid system in one word, life. Life, because it's about homeostasis. 
It's about balance. If we're not at balance or at ease, we are at dis-ease. So that's the first thing I tell my colleagues and anybody. First, understand that we have an endocannabinoid system. And what it means is that there's something within our own body that works with things known as cannabinoids. And that these cannabinoids can come from plants, and we call that phytocannabinoids. They can come from within our own body. We call that endocannabinoids, or they can be made in a laboratory, and we call those synthetic cannabinoids. So understanding that phytocannabinoids, synthetic cannabinoids, and your own endocannabinoids are working with your body system to help you to be at ease. So what what type of... Uh conditions or diseases, as you said it, uh, what would people come to you with and what would be like sort of the, the process that you would take them through? So I am a diplomat in cannabinoid medicine as well as my other degrees. So I take how I look at can, cannabinoid medicine mm-hmm. as a specialty, just like if you were to say, I've got a broken arm and I need to go see a orthopedic surgeon because they're the ones that are going to fix this. I look at this as patients are coming to me because they're pretty much exhausted. There are other things or they found out, you know, Dr. Uma is this doctor that's been talking about cannabis and and she's helping people and she calls it the exit drug. So let me go find out why she calls it the exit drug. And that's where they come into my life. But what I try to explain them to them is that my journey begins with them. This is now my doctor-patient relationship and that it's a commitment. I'm a doctor, and you mentioned it earlier, that was taught do no harm. But I take it to one more level and I say safety first, do no harm. Because I had the opportunity to do all those prescriptions. And now I haven't written an opioid in over 15 years. Excellent. It's great. You know, and I could boldly say I, Dr. Uma Danabalan, has nothing to do with this opioid epidemic. In fact, I'm part of the solution for the mm-hmm. opioid epidemic and not the problem. And I don't know how many doctors can say that today. Okay, so. I love that. That's great. That's, that's, that's a great way to put it. And I think, and I love the whole exit drug. And I know that that's, uh, uh, you know, that's the new thing that people are talking about cannabis being the exit drug and stuff. But on the flip side, do you see that phytocannabinoids can be a preventative, like use of maybe Absolutely. So let's talk about that. Absolutely. And, you know, cannabis, the exit drug is my registered trademark. So anybody out there listening, I, I love the fact people are using it. But please give credit because that's something that I really want people to understand. We give credit in any other uh, type of work, but somehow in the cannabis industry, we're not giving credit for the people that are doing the work. So please remember that. And I also I'm not going to call them out right now. I know some people are not calling them out, but oh, you, yes. did. you but we, did. We're calling them out, <laughs> Dr. Umez, anyway. But but bottom line, I actually call it the entrance to a better quality of life. That's what mm-hmm. I say. Cannabis is an entrance to a better quality of life, and it's an exit drug. Because mm-hmm. what we have is patients that are coming in with chronic conditions, with a slew full of medications. I used to call it the party pack of five and I was a part of it. You know, as a doctor, I called it hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, reflux, anxiety, or depression. We wrote a pill out day in and day after that. And now I'm saying, okay, how can I help you lower one pill at a time? 
and get you to be leaner, be fitter, be more engaged, more conscious. And cannabis is part of that, you know, it is part of the psychedelic world. It is part of that world that Mm -hmm. it helps people do alter their mind so that we Mm -hmm. can make some conscious efforts. And so I look at this as that the patient walks in and there's three types of patients. Patient one, never, ever, ever use cannabis, cannabis naive. Mm -hmm. The patient sort of like a group of patients that my age group, oh, Dr. Oman, you know, we used it back in the days in high school and college. And, you know, I had to step into this thing called family, get a job, pee in a cop, you know, raise children. And I gave that all up. And now my kids are telling me about it or my neighbor told me about it. So they, those are the, you know, prior users. And then there's those that have been self-medicating, and that's what I call them, self-medicators, not recreational users, because I do not like that word. And if you're going to use that word, let's use it appropriately. Recreate means recreate, you know, rejuvenate, put this part of your mind at ease, and let's think about what you can progress your mind in. Open your minds, open your hearts, and open your doors is what Dr. Uma says. And that's what we have as our patients that come in. Those are the three types of patients that walk in through my door. And depending on what condition and what their goals are, we work with them. And I follow them. This is not a mail where you get a card in five minutes and walk out and say, oh, you got a card, go out and do your thing. No, I take what I do very, very seriously. And it's a journey. I follow my patients. We work as a team together because they have to overcome a lot of things. Sometimes they can't even talk to their doctors about it. Their doctors have shut them down. They've been alienated by their doctors. They've been thrown out in many cases. When I first started, many of my patients were on opioids. And I called it the exit drug. And I said, I can help you get off of that drug. And they would come in from pain clinics and they'd say, I'm done with this. I can't take a poop. I can't have no quality of life. I, I keep using more and more. There's nothing more I can do. And I'm not feeling any better. They're not working, you know? And then I have the other extreme of my patients with cancer where I get to see them one time maybe. And I know that they're going to die and I want them to die with dignity. So that's palliative care. So yeah. It's also, as a family doctor, I can now say I can help you to prevent. And you asked about that, prevent. And I look at three words, prevent, maintain, and treat. They come to me now sometimes for treatment, but they've been with me. I can maintain and I can prevent the things from happening. And we're very proud to know, you know, we're getting people off their insulin. We've lowered their hemoglobin A1Cs. We've lowered them off of all their diabetes medicine, off of all their high blood pressure medicines. And that that takes work. That's yeah. a, it. Just it's amazing. I, I super super grateful for you, uh, like taking the stance because it's it takes some bravery to be able to do that. Uh, 
And I'm sure that there's other forces that from a business standpoint, because you're, you're a doctor, you have licenses, you have insurance, you have all these different things that you need to maintain. And because you're an advocate and you're outspoken about this, I'm sure there's a lot of pressures uh, on you from, a, from the business standpoint. Uh, has, has being outspoken and an advocate, has that affected uh, you in, in some of those ways from a business standpoint too? Absolutely, because I don't deal with insurance companies. I'm not making the six figures because you work as a doctor, but I feel like I am the richest doctor, and I say that so boldly. I am the richest doctor, and I'm very blessed to do what I do. I've helped so many people, starting with myself, to be able to speak so boldly about it. And the loss of my mother is what made me so bold. So Mm -hmm. yet that I never got to use it for her, we've made sure that we can get it to patients. And it is difficult. And, and I, I do believe you have to be courageous and brave in whatever you do in life. And you got one life to live. And you should do your very best. And it is difficult. But at this point, we have not only changed the world locally, mm-hmm. I've changed the world globally. You know, truly, um, my message is being heard everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, open your hearts. You don't need to use this medicine, but you know somebody that can benefit from it. Open your minds because we all have an endocannabinoid system. And as doctor patients, it can open doors to better relationships. Mm-hmm. As human beings, it opens relationships better with our children, with our partners, in our mm-hmm. society. And When I decided to come openly to speak about the endocannabinoid system, I also decided I'm not going to drink anymore, you know, and we have habits. And I remember my days of drinking and having a cigarette as part of, you know, socializing, right? And as a medical doctor, we socialize with alcohol, every event, every social event, there's alcohol. And those people are getting in a car and getting somewhere else and they're driving and I know they're not completely all there and Mm -hmm. maybe some of them are impaired right and so Mm -hmm. I always say safety first do no harm and that's for all everybody you know if you are impaired in any way shape or form don't operate a vehicle or don't do anything that could be harmful to you or anybody else for sure. I, I really think that uh, at medical uh, conventions and events, they should just give out cannabis instead of uh, alcohol. Well, somebody's going to do that line. You want your drink tickets <laughs> or your alcohol, you know, or not, you know? Yeah, it's a or drink not. ticket or your, your cannabis uh, ticket. Or something else, you know, whatever it may be, you know. Psilocybin is coming to the market. and I was going to actually ask you about that. Was my You brought that up. It's a great segue uh, because you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, psychotropic or uh, is what is your position on uh, this new uh, kind of venture into psycho psychedelics and psychotropics? I mean, it's not new because it's been around for well, you know, thousands of years, well, but now that is, that's what I'm saying. Cannabis is just part of that. It's exactly. just helping people. It's a tool in the tool bucket, right? And mm-hmm. if we can find something that won't kill you, why wouldn't you want it? Try mm-hmm. it to help you. Why wouldn't we want to incorporate it? And, 
you know, I'm learning about this now with my patients because my patients are microdosing with psilocybin in addition to the cannabis and I support them and I follow them and I, and I'm learning how we, we want to incorporate better lifestyles. Health and wellness is the name of our clinic, uplifting sure. health and wellness. So mm-hmm. why not incorporate something? And if they can get off of one pill and, you know, have a better life with their children and get out, I have patients that are very anxious. And mm-hmm. with COVID now, they've really, you know, shut themselves down. Yeah. And, and now there are even some fear factors, right? So why wouldn't we help them to be able to get out and socialize and normalize the new normal? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. What is the, what is your position on cannabis and COVID? Uh, there's so many different uh, kind of uh, uh, articles and studies. Uh, yeah. you know, we've I had Dr. Ethan Russo and Dr. Chris Spooner. We had this whole series about uh, COVID and cannabis. There's all these mixed uh, kind of results. I wanted to kind of ask your opinion. I know you have some uh, thoughts well, on that too. You know, it's really interesting because Knockwood, we didn't lose one of our patients uh, to COVID and they were all using their cannabis that was during their time period. And cannabis, and this is why I'm so passionate about it, because it's it's so counterintuitive, right? Because we mm-hmm. think of smoking and inhalation and lung cancer and tobacco and what it does and blah, 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 blah. But when we think about what we are going back to is understanding that cannabis is a bronchodilator. It's a vasodilator, anti-inflammatory. Everything's about inflammation, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what's really fascinating. Over or under. And remember I said ease when we started the conversation saying ease when we're not at ease we're at dis-ease mm-hmm. that's what happened with covid it's an overreaction mm-hmm. over effect and what we realized is that people that use cannabis i really believe prevented the worst aspects of the outcomes of this disease by having this on board as an anti-inflammatory medication that they mm-hmm. had antibacterial, antimicrobial. Mm-hmm. They use cannabis for the treatment of tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. They made porridge back in the days. That's what you ate. You know, I'm a big hemp heart pusher. People know I ask, have you hemp it today? You know, are you hemping it? Because <laughs> it's food. Food is medicine and cannabis is food and medicine. And that's a Dr. Uma quote. And I say this to people, at least start with eating the hemp because it's got the nutrients. It's got the nourishment. It's got 21 amino acids. Nine of them are essential. The perfect omega-3, omega-6 ratios. And that's what's important about COVID is that I really believe I can't take credit for this. I got to give my brother credit for this because he's always said this out there and he's Dr. Via Shiva. And he says, Mm -hmm. you know, um, boost your immunity, build your community. And that's what we Mm -hmm. talk about herd immunity, right? Mm -hmm. If this many people get vaccinated, it's going to protect the other people that don't. Well, what if we were all healthier? What if we could build our immunities up so we were healthy and that we didn't have core morbidities and you weren't jacked up on five pills a day or more, you know? Yeah. And 
that you can improve your quality of life. Why not? And love that. And guess that's what? great. Yep. Okay. Government has <laughs> the patent. Patent number sixty six thirty five zero seven. Let's repeat that again. Sixty six thirty five zero seven issued on October seventh two thousand and three, and it states cannabinoids mm. as an antioxidant mm. and neuroprotectant. Mm-hmm. Yep. So at some point, uh, the government is trying to figure out. What can we do to get in this business? I mean, I think they started with uh, the finally Epidiolex is at least one, uh, you know, GW Pharma or now it's Jazz uh, created this uh, uh, this product with a, a, a cannabinoid. Yeah, it's a cannabinoid derived. It's better than the the Marinol that they were pushing on on us. But you know, Marinol is still out there, and people need to know. People, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm so happy mm-hmm. you brought that up because remember I said phytocannabinoid endocannabinoid, synthetic cannabinoid. Well, guess what Marinol is? Synthetic THC. Thank you. (laughs) And I'm glad, you know, we want people to educate themselves that, you know, this stuff is nothing new. We've just not been told all the truth. And we're doing it today. Yeah, 100%. Super grateful. Uh, All right. So I'm going to ask you uh, questions that I ask all my guests. There's only, I think, three questions. And uh, then we'll let everybody know where people can find out more about you or contact you. And uh, uh, actually, before I, before I start that, I, I, another question that kind of popped in my mind, uh, do you ever see patients with symptoms of cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome? I'm so glad you brought that up. I've actually done a whole lecture on it. So when we talk about hyperemesis, let's just define what that means. Hyper means increased and emesis means puking your brains out. Okay. Hyperemesis can happen in different people's lives at different times. If you've been pregnant and you had a a pregnancy where you puke your brains out for the first three months, we call it gravita hyperemesis, which is usually in the first trimester of the pregnancy in women. Uh, really struggle and it and it's very harming at times because they get dehydrated and it's very uh, uncomfortable to say the least. Then we have uh, vomiting when if you've ever had food poisoning. Mm-hmm. If anybody's ever had food poisoning and you're puking your brains out and pooping at the same time, you know yeah. something <laughs> went down that didn't suit you right. And yeah. one of my specialties is. Uh, Occupation and environmental medicine, and I did my specialty in heavy metals, and that's been a big concern for me is Mm -hmm. are people building up a level of toxicity slowly, and then all of a sudden they end up having these issues. And it comes to what we're learning is that there's also mitochondrial disease. People have not talked enough about this, but people have genetic issues. We're not all the same. That's why it's not the same effect of the same cannabis Cannabis does not affect the same people. Cannabis does not affect everybody the same. Even the same person can be affected differently with cannabis because depending on what you're consuming at different times, combinations, interactions, all can have an effect. And hyperemesis, I really believe, is because somebody's got some genetic disorder that we haven't identified, that they've got some type of a mitochondrial issue, that that's what's Mm -hmm. causing a buildup and or there's contamination in the product, or it's just too much. You know, too much is just as bad. Like, this is what's amazing. 
just as much as cannabis treats nausea and vomiting, it can cause vomiting and vom nausea and vomiting. So it's that balance, you know, look and see. But I have patients of mine that will tell me that they have developed it after using certain types of cannabis. And I really think it was because of the contamination. Yeah, that, it may be maybe the case. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Ethan Russo and uh, and uh, us, uh, myself, and a, a few people, my company, we uh, just did a study and we published uh, that study. It's in the, it's in PubMed, and you mentioned genetics, and we seem to we found a pattern, a genotype pattern that has a lot to do with um, stress and anxiety associated with that. Also, some medication. Also, it's stimulation of the vagus nerve, so metabolic function, uh, CYPA 450, uh, CYP2C9, and then association with that, that stimulates a cyclical vomiting syndrome in a way. So uh, Dr. Ethan can summarize this way better than me, but basically, you're absolutely right. There is a correlation. And even outside of this, you know, you got to listen to your body. Sometimes you're consumed, your body's letting you know that you have too much. And this is a signal for you maybe to let your receptors reset themselves, get uh, get back to your balance, and then start consuming again. So, I mean, you said it brilliantly. I couldn't have said it better myself. But definitely, there is uh, some work to be done on trying to figure it out. But I think we made the first dent. There is an association with quality of cannabis, absolutely. Just consumption of uh, an excessive amount. And then also having this genetic predisposition and mixing it with other prescription medication, et cetera, that seems to be uh, the formula for that expressing itself. You know, I, I'm glad we're talking about this because I had a case and this was very, very sad. Uh, and this is where I call about, talk about the stigma of things, you know, mm -hmm. this gentleman, um, they would test him for a, a drug test and say, oh, you, it's because of the weed you're smoking. That's why you got it. He wasn't mm -hmm. smoking the weed. He had stopped smoking the cannabis. He had stopped doing everything and was still having the episode. Finally, I literally called up the ER doctor and he said, that man will not be let out of the hospital to the GI doctor, called up the GI doctor and said, look, he's got something and it's most likely a mitochondrial, figure it out. And sure yeah. enough, he did. They had to make some tweaking in his diet and you know, making sure they're eating right. So this is where... We have to not just blame it on the weed. It can't no more yeah. blame it on the weed as the answer to everything. No, you, you're right. There, and there, it's and most of the things that we see uh, just from doing genetic uh, testing, there is such a correlation between the brain and the gut. So you have something of uh, stress reactivity, cortisol. Now you have a cytokine or reactive immune response. Now, uh, if you have too much cortisol, it starts affecting your gut health, especially if you're prone to IBD and people are walking around with inflammation, gut issues and all that stuff. But it could be all associated with stress reactivity. And if you kind of look to see the balance of those things, and uh, as you said, it's everything is together. It's associated Yep, exactly. All that. And in fact, um, I'm giving a lecture, and one of my topic lectures has been your brain, your gut, your ECS, and cannabis. Yeah, perfect. Because you're <laughs> right, it. your gut is your brain. Okay. I, now I'll get to the questions that I said I was going to get to like three questions ago, but I want to—I don't want to keep you too much longer. This is super fascinating. Thank I'm you. very, very grateful for you, for your time. Um, all right, so I ask these questions of all my guests. Uh, first question is, please describe your first experience with cannabis. 
Oh, God. Um, with my friend Michelle at Parsippany High School, banana rolling papers. And, <laughs> I remember uh, those. Yes. Yes, banana rolling papers and strawberry rolling papers. But I remember. I had, I had banana and chocolate that were mine. That's what I remember. <laughs> Persephone High School. What, was, it a, was it a negative experience where you had a. Well, was I a, was more afraid of going home because <laughs> I knew I was going to be a big doo doo, you know, when I got <laughs> home because there was going to be trouble. But, you know, it's really interesting because my father now is attends all my meetings with me and sits in the front row and is very supportive. Of what oh, I'm doing. I, I can relate to that. So my, my parents uh, wrote in my book too, and my parents ended up kicking me out for cannabis use and actually tried to have me arrested. And now my parents actually consume formulations that I uh, uh, created for their aches. So it's the irony of coming full circle. And my dad is uh, uh, very proud of what I do now. So it's, it takes education and time, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm a big music uh, person. As you can see, I have a bunch of vinyl behind me and all that stuff. Uh, so I'm curious about music. Uh, this is nothing to do with cannabis. Or maybe it is. Uh, do you remember the first uh, concert uh, you attended? Oh, God. Or the, first, or the first album you ever bought, the first piece of music you bought? You know, the, one of the first albums I remember is the, the cover of uh, Boston. It was yeah. the guitar upside down. And, yeah. you know, you'd see the flames coming off of it. That's what kind of comes into my mind in my, one of my first album covers. Uh, that's cool. Um, so what has cannabis meant in your life? Cannabis has meant a great opportunity to change the world to me and honor my parents and leave a legacy behind that we must tell the truth and the stigma must change. And my mission is to educate the whole world about the endocannabinoid system. And I'm going to keep on doing it through education. Love it. I'm there right with you. All right. So last question, bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. My room looked like growing up was very organized. Uh, I liked order and I liked to have my friends over. Hey, were there any posters in the, on the wall or any uh, piece of art, anything that uh, you can reflect yeah, on? Yeah, I can't remember posters and stuff, but uh, um, the Partridge family um, comes to my mind, you know, yep. <laughs> as music of that time and Shirley yep. Partridge and the whole family concept of having family and friends. Love that. All right. So where can people uh, find you, learn more about you, contact you, uh, social website? Um, I'm very uh, much accessible. I literally pick up my phone and our office is at 508-444-2324. We are at Uplifting Health and Wellness. I'm located in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Our website is upliftinghealthandwellness.com or totalhealthcarethc.com. Um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and all of those good things. And just shoot us an email at upliftinghealthandwellness@gmail.com. I love to answer questions. I love to speak. So if you have uh, any place that you would like me to come and educate, please contact us. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you so much. I, I have to say, 
I've seen you speak. Uh, we've spoke, I think, in the same stages, like uh, I think maybe a cannabis science conference, one of those other ones. You're an amazing speaker, so I encourage people to contact you. And uh, hopefully, I will see you soon on the speaking circuit as well. But I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you thank, so much. Thank you very great. much, Len. I appreciate you. Thank you for everything Absolutely. that you did. Bye-bye. Likewise. All right. All the best. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConnex. And look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.